The Dane and Derek Show is an uncensored, unfiltered podcast. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Hello, welcome to the Dane and Derek Show, a podcast where two nerdy friends keep in touch and talk about whatever the fuck they want. Uh, I'm Derek Hiello, a writer, director, and occasional D&D player, and with me as always is my buddy, Dane Fogdahl. Hey, I'm Dane. Uh, you changed that intro just a little bit there, but I liked it. I felt that vibe. Uh, I'm a writer, musician, a podcaster, and lover of tabletop RPGs, which surprising no one we have returned to as a topic yeah surprising no one yeah you know i was just kind of feel it i feel like this is going to be um a hot take episode so i was like yeah let's let's get the f-bombs in early uh let's just get it out of the way fucking takes yeah hot fucking takes just like hot pockets but hot fucking takes (laughs) Mm. um so dane Mm. What is your least favorite rule in a tabletop RPG? Um, uh, uh, how do we break? How are we breaking this down? Are we like just something that when you wake up and it's the first thing in your head, it pisses you off about tabletop RPGs? I can go first if you'd like. Yeah, you go first. Give me, give me a second to to fucking consider this. <laughs> um. I really don't like the spell slot system in Dungeons and Dragons. 5e? Yeah. Yeah. Fair. It's just so overly complicated. I don't under like I understand that you need to differentiate prepared spells from spells you can cast to spells you actually are able to cast and spells that you know, but I feel like if you know the spell, you know the spell, and if you can cast it, you can cast it where i get lost is the whole slot thing and like some classes you use your slots to prepare a certain number of spells and some you just prepare spells and use your slots willy-nilly and others you use slots and you know very few spells it's just like it's like a little too complicated for me to think about uh because every time i dungeon master and someone has a question and it's like oh no like they're a cleric uh that's very different than a wizard and i and i can't answer the spell slot question and it's just it just becomes very uh yeah that's that just it's i don't maybe it's because i don't play spellcasters enough but i do not like spell slots i prefer the variant rule spell points where you have a total number where, where you have a certain number of points and it costs a certain number of points to cast a spell i much prefer that mhm mhm okay i thought of it and this is going to be a big one. Okay. I don't like the D20 system. Whoa. I, I, I don't like, like, I don't like the thing that makes D&D happen. Wow. <laughs> that's wild. So, and I, I have a reason for it though. I, I do. Okay. Um, okay. <clears throat> let's just give a very generic situation. Um, and you tell me what happens given all these variables. The difficulty to open a lock is 15. All right, not too high, not too low, no big deal. It's not trapped, it's not nothing. And then I roll an 11. 
what happens? What happens next? Basically every time. Um, I didn't, I didn't crit fail. Mind you, I didn't crit fail. I didn't critically succeed. I just rolled an 11. I didn't even normal succeed. Just rolled an 11. Just rolled an 11. And, and we added all your modifiers in yep. on all, on all yep. that stuff. I rolled probably like a, a, a six or a seven on the dice, but you know, yeah, it's, you just kind of, um, you stick the lock pick in and you just can't, you yeah. just can't figure it out. I just can't figure it out. So what actually happens is probably I'm like, can I try again? Right. Mm-hmm. And then I probably get, let's say I get 12 and then I do it again and I get a, a, a 16 and I open it. Right. So that mm-hmm. can happen. Um, on the other hand, let's say I were in the middle of combat and armor class 18. I rolled a 15. What happens then? Nothing. Right. Like, right. Like I, I spent, I spend all this time, like putting all the numbers together, adding up, rolling dice, taking my turn. And then if I'm like a low level and my whole turn is basically just attacking, that's it. I'm done. Nothing happened. Mm. I don't like the roll, the D the roll of one D 20 system where there's, where you hit a success, a critical success, one in 20 times and a critical failure, one in 20 times. I don't like that at all. Because mm-hmm. n- nothing happens so often. Yeah. We spend all this time rolling dice and often nothing happens. And it just feels like just wasted energy in a yeah. sense. And also just not representative, right? Like mm-hmm. if you were in a fight and you fucking swung like for the fences, right? Like, and you miss, like you actually miss, you have probably opened yourself up to a return stroke. Probably mm-hmm. something is going to go bad for you. Right? Right, yeah. And so I don't find the mechanic to help. It often feels like just sitting around until people can hit a number, right? And in such yeah. in such a way, it feels like the die roll is relatively speaking unimportant. Yeah, that is a really great way to put it. Because in a system like Dungeon World or Masks or uh, Monster of the Week or or even Quest, which uses a D twenty but does not adhere to the regular D twenty sort of difficulty, it uses a more powered by the apocalypse kind of um, system where you know, under a certain number is failure within a certain range is f- success at a cost. And then over a certain range is outright success. Mm-hmm. You kind of get a little bit more of what you're talking about, which is like there, there, there's a little bit more, not only drama in the storytelling, but you can succeed, but at a price. And it's like failure isn't that failure becomes interesting a lot more than, yes. than just like, okay, yeah, you didn't hit it. Someone else try Let's try and buff so and so, so you know we, we you know we can up the you know you know break the difficulty class and yeah it just becomes like a numbers game <laughs> right and so with with a different system like you said failure should be interesting, um, which is why one very important thing about those games that they don't really tell you things like Dungeon World and the like as a GM only ask for dice rolls when failure is interesting. And otherwise, just let players succeed. Yeah. Um, I've come to the philosophy that often these these games become moments for storytelling. And if mm-hmm. you're going to take away uh, agency, like, compl- like, and leave it to chance, 
you're going to take agency away from a player and leave it to chance. Um, something interesting better be potentially possible for them to not get their way. Right. And interesting does not mean like nice for the player. Certainly. Um, but in D and D, if you fail to miss and you don't crit fail, um, which kind of has a certain amount of house rules to it anyways, um, the worst that happens is you kind of wasted your turn. In Dungeon World, if you failed on an attack, well, maybe your sword's broken now, you're down on the ground, and you've been poisoned. Not great for you. Very interesting, though. A lot happened yeah. there. Like, the story exactly. has taken a turn, and I think that has a lot of value to it. In the D20 thing's defense, the one thing I think it does well is I think it's pretty okay at increasing difficulty, if that makes sense. Like, it's very easy to tell. Like, a challenge rating 10 lock feels much easier to break into than a challenge uh, 25 lock. It just does. And there's something to that. On the other hand, uh, if you're quite high leveled and you miss that 10, which is still possible, it feels really fucking bad. Um, And it feels really dumb. Yep. Um, A great piece of jamming advice I once heard was um, Han Solo doesn't miss. Han Solo doesn't trip and fall on his face. Um, Which is to say that like when you are presenting failures especially in like the dungeon world way or even in a crit fail way in in things in like D um uh-huh. a really a something really important to like think about is like um often in stories it's re- or like in these games it's really easy to just be like um you fall on your face you fail the deck save you fall on your face whereas it's it feels much better for a player if you spend just a little bit of extra energy to essentially explain how it wasn't really that your character, like it's not that your character was an idiot or dumb or something. It's that there was something they didn't account for. Um, Mm -hmm. The enemy was just a bit better than they expected. Not that like, like so often it's easy to just make all the characters seem like bumbling buffoons, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And I right. think that's easier with the D20 thing. This was supposed to be the intro rant over for now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it does kind of segue into what we're talking about, which is bending the rules in tabletop games, because in a situation where like, you know, it's a DC 12 lock and you get an 11, you know, as the dungeon master, unless you said it's a DC 12 lock, the players don't have to know that it was a DC, that it wasn't a DC 12 lock, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, mm-hmm. or that it was, you know, so you can bend that and you can be like, yeah, you open it. You, if, if they get close enough, um, which, you know, I know you and I are definitely in the same brainwave of like, you know, mod- you know, bending the rules to serve the story and the players, which I don't know about you, but I know that for myself, I often sometimes will bend the rules too much and, It'll bite me in the ass later. Yeah. Uh, like the one thing that I, I had, like ever since it, ever since I screwed it up, I try to never, ever bend the rules of death. Uh, <laughs> um, because uh, you can very easily ruin a game by accidentally killing someone off or, um, or for instance, like, you know, like 
I don't know, like bending the rules of how magic items are supposed to work. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, nobody ever like uh, like really uh, thinks about like attunement and stuff like that. Like those very technical nitty gritty um, uh, stuff, you know. And uh, it, it's uh, it's I don't know. I feel like I feel like every dungeon master at a certain point modif- bends some of the rules to make the game a little bit easier or better. And I'm curious uh, when you like to bend rules in games or how you go about it. The most basic way I bend rules is in service to the players in the story. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I would rather everybody have a good time and, uh, and the rules have been played a little fast and loose then have us play technically correct and people be frustrated or confused or upset. So that sometimes like back when I played more D and D that would often mean I'd fudge, I'd make sure I had that, that, uh, that screen, the D the, the dungeon master screen. And I would fudge the dice sometimes because it was just better that way. Um, now it's much more like, it's much more like, I, I remember when I was playing dungeon world pretty early on, with a friend very early, a, a character went down to zero hit points, which means that they had to make a very difficult roll or die, basically. Um, and one of the ways to get an actual bonus to that roll is to have a cleric with you, but the cleric has to be second level. There was a cleric. She was not second level. It was the first session. Uh... And I was like, I don't really want this character to die yet. That sucks. This other character had has a thing she can see it on her character sheet this other player really wants to help and so and and so i made a bargain with her which is not in the rules but i was like hey i'll let you level now and have this thing but you have to give up this other like this other thing that she that was sort of important to her Mm. and she made the deal um i try not to like do these things without cost necessarily It, it it tends to be more like a negotiation on the direction we all want the story to go. Yeah. Like very rarely am I okay with characters sort of straight up dying mm-hmm. without their players consent at this point. 100%. Partially because it's like, nah, that sucks. Like that, that just sucks. We were here for a good time and just random dice and now you're dead. And also partially because I'm like random death is sucky storytelling on the other hand, if you're like, no, 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 the character is dying for a reason. Like, I'm like, nice. I'm there for that, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, like, I, I try to bend the rules around around those sorts of things. What about you? I... <sighs> the last time I, like... So, I, I try to bend the rules when it's going to be something, like, big, you know? Like... Like, for instance, like like what you were saying, like when a character needs to use something, but they technically can't use it per the rules mm-hmm. or they haven't leveled up enough. Um, but like in the case of like the superhero masks game I'm playing right now, um, there's a lot of things in that game that, well, one, I've never run a masks game, but two, like some of the powers didn't really line up with some of the classes that people wanted to have. So, you know, like. I modified that like like one guy uh he plays like a like an android that can like 
basically like it's a, that's composed of like tiny nanobots, but that doesn't really translate to a power. So I was like, well, maybe it's like transmuting. Mm-hmm. We'll call it transmuting. Yeah. And another character, they didn't want to be like the elemental like fire class, like the Nova. They instead wanted to be the Janus, but they wanted to have like fire powers. So like over the course of the game, like the powers have been like, well, you can just mimic fire. You can't actually use fire to, well, maybe your character can actually use fire because you're becoming more and more creative with how you use the fire that you can like mimic. So maybe it is more of just actual elemental control. And so like kind of bending the rules in those kinds of ways. Yeah. Um, and, and that's been like a healthy amount of it. I think, you know, like I, th- I think like in, in the case of like a season finale, so to speak of like a, or a series finale of a campaign, like, you know, like it, there was like, there's like this one magic item that like I gave a player once in a D and D game that they could cast telekinesis, but I think they had to be like a wizard or something like they couldn't be a druid. And I was like, if, now, and I was like, just for the sake of the rules, I'm not gonna like, cause the player pointed it out and I was like, no, you can just, you can just use that. Um, because it made for a really good story point, you know, to, for this character to use that ability and kind of like, in a way, like kind of bring sort of, you know, round out a really nice, like long action scene. Um, so I think like, that's where I think I find bending the rules to be helpful. Like when you can, oh, my favorite rule bending one is I have a home rule that I allow people to cast spells at a higher level if they know them at the cost of hit points. Oh, that's uh, fun. Yeah, uh, because I just feel like sometimes you like if you want to make that play, you know, you can do it. But but it is it is going to cost you in, in a way like like once again, it goes back to that. There's that hard bargain cost. There's that price you have to pay. And I think mm-hmm. when I get off track, it's when I it's when I present something that they can do, but I don't have a price. And as a result, it, it kind of feels weightless or it just kind of feels like I'm handing them a, a muffin to go munch on. Yeah, and I need to get better about making sure that there is a cost. Um, but having that like hard cost is, is great. Cause who doesn't love like a last minute lightning bolt from like, you know, you, you're not supposed to be able to cast it, but you somehow manage to find a way to cast it mm-hmm. and you know, it costs you, but it also saves a day that like, that's, that's some great storytelling. I, I agree. Uh, question. Do you consider house rules to be bending the rules or do they kind of just sort of transcend that? Uh, yeah, I'd consider them to be, be to be bending the rules because, you know, like I've definitely played in some groups where like the dungeon masters, like the book is God and, mm-hmm. you know, we cannot break the book. Uh, you know, I, I've definitely been in that world. So do you think there's yeah. value to playing that way? Um, I think if everyone at the table wants to play that way, there's value. Mm-hmm. I, I you know, think, because, yeah, yeah, because then I think because like there are people that like to just kick ass crunch numbers and don't and don't mind coming to a game with 10 characters pre-made fair you know fair i will also say that i i do think that it it's a good thing to like be like the book is god if you're like at a convention or you've never really played with these people before or um you know you're at a shop or something where like yeah where like you can't hold the consistency Mm -hmm. um and it's best to just be like no we're we're just using these rules and it's because we're in this setting you know yeah i yeah and i and i think 
I think the value that comes from playing a game like that that way is sort of the in a way it's like it's like I, I think when when we bend the rules it's to fulfill that need to like tell a good story and feel something inside of us you know feel that fire kind of like roar in a way yeah I think when people play and they stick to the rules 110 percent I mean maybe there's like groups out there that are like hardcore like RPing and telling somehow telling great stories even though their character fumbles every other attack you know uh because mm-hmm. the dice never lie in, in in that world but I feel like those groups they're definitely the story is in the actual like gameplay of crunching numbers and killing monsters and unlocking chests and the more technical aspects of it the stories in the dungeon crawl not so much in the in the characters you know yeah yeah like we're almost always bending the rules to eat to save a character help a character or prevent a character from like making it an, an irreversible decision you know um, in in like a negative context, like like an out of character, irreversible decision that is bad for the character. Yes. Okay. So I I just remembered what my very favorite uh, rule bending that I've ever done is. Uh-huh. Um, and it's yes. in Dungeon World. So when you get a six or less, the character fails. Just like six or less on the dice, that's a fail. They get to mark XP. Um, like learning from your failures, and then the GM gets full control. I'm not even technically sure this is bending the rules. But what I know, what I will often do is I will let whatever they want to happen happen, and I will do something at a distance away from them, like something oh. ominous in the distance. Um, Interesting. Like kind of like, like basically have like a clock ticking down to midnight, like to their doom, essentially, right? Yeah. And so, like, but what I'll say is like, okay, you know, you know what, your spell goes off just fine. Don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it a little bit. I'll just move something in the background. And that scares them like twice as much as if I'd hit yeah. them with an arrow or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, because it's because it's it's you don't know. It's like it's like it's like the thing behind the screen. You have no idea. That's that's that. I should use that because that's oh, it's the best. It does that, require you that, to have some prep though. Like you need to know mm-hmm. like what you can move in the background. Um, like for example, uh, for my old podcast during one season there was a dragon that was coming like basically like from the jump everybody was like the dragon's going to come at some point during the season it's basically just a ticking clock and more or less every time someone failed but i really didn't want like i didn't want them to want them to i would just (laughs) move the dragon closer and they would just Mm. groan because they knew they knew what i was doing um and then uh, the other thing the other thing i'm I, i thought about um and these things are sort of tied together. So currently I'm playing in a game with some friends and it's a great, great game. Loving the characters. We're playing Dungeon World. Uh, but our GM, she heavily modified the game uh, for two reasons. And it's not for the reasons that we've put forward so far, of like saving characters, helping Ooh. out, adjusting the story. One, she increased, she mo- heavily modified the leveling up system in order to make leveling up take so much longer interesting um because she wanted the game to last longer like last time last campaign we did about half of us had to change classes because we maxed out level and had to kind of like start over because the story wasn't over interesting um so so there was that she also introduced xp syncs so we can level up npcs basically and they'll give us like benefits like 
if you level up the blacksmith, um, then they'll give you better. Like you can have your weapons modified. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is, you actually have to have a con- you have to have a connection with the blacksmith. Like you can't just throw three XP at them and then they're like, <laughs> yeah. we're better friends now. Um, like, and she'll yeah. play, she'll be the judge of that. Um, right. So like that's all in service of lengthening the game and like filling out the game. But the other thing she did was dungeon world doesn't have like an initiative or turn order, but uh, a lot of the, uh, like two or three of the players really struggled last campaign because they didn't know when they could do things. Uh, Um, Dungeon world is very conversational. And so someone can kind of just jump in whenever, uh, but that really uh didn't work for them. Uh, she likes running dungeon world best. Most of us really, really like the system, but a couple of them are more like hardcore D and D crunch people. Like that's just how their brain works more than anything. And so like, just to help them out, she basically gave, um, everybody, like we have initiative in like a turn order. Basically it's not like strict initiative where we roll for it, but it's just like kind of, we kind of just go in an order and then that order's there for the rest of the battle also helps because there are eight of us um uh players and my goodness eight players it actually (laughs) works and here's the reason why we play also sort of on a discord server so we do Uh all the story rp stuff like role-playing stuff oh like kind of in chat during the week and then we do kind of like the adventure dungeon crawly monster hunting stuff in person on the game on game day um I've never actually seen this big a group work before, but it does. And it's super cool. Um, but having Very the initiative nice. is also just to manage that for her brain. Mm-hmm. And she put in, she does this thing where she also gives like quote unquote boss monsters a turn, uh, mm. which makes them very scary. Also a good decision. Um, right. However, she has been doing a thing lately um, where she is, she's basically rolling contested against us, which is a very common thing in D and D like super common uh-huh. thing where like one player is like, I'll roll a D 20, add my strength and you'll roll your D 20 and add strength. And whoever gets the higher one comes out on top. Totally works in dungeon world. It doesn't work in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, because what it actually means is I could roll a 12, which traditionally in dungeon world means I succeeded. Um, and failure and a complication is built in already. But if I roll that 12, I'm like, oh, cool. I did it. I did it. Cool. However, she could still roll a 13. And then I fail mm. anyways. Which means like it feels like you get two bites at the fuck up apple. Um, right. But only one bite at the success apple. Interesting. So like I, I do need to like bring this up with her because I usually feel like a mechanic is bad when it kind of like makes things feel bad for players so i want to talk to her about it because that's at the heart of of good role-playing etiquette i think as as both players and gms like you should talk like something's up talk 100 Um, yeah and so my question is she's already done this a few times Mm -hmm. what is your opinion on once you've bent the rules and in a quite overt way what's your opinion on going back on them that was a very long-winded way to get to this question um and we're not well, we're not good on time, so we we got we got to be concise. <laughs> so I, I will say, in in more recent play groups, people have been forgiving 
and we've been able to kind of like but it depends on the consequences of the action that i bent the rule right like in mm-hmm. one game it resulted in a player death and, and as a result it it i couldn't go back i couldn't just take that back um and probably it not just kind of and the, and, the, and the issue is that I, I i bent the rule one way to save another character and then that rule that i bent killed another character and ultimately that group kind of fizzled out because of, I, I don't necessarily think it was because of this decision, but I do feel like it, a big part of it was because of that decision. Um, and that's like 100% on me as the dungeon master to not protect my players at the table. Um, but in more recent groups, I've been able to do that, um, you know, be able to retcon some things, but I haven't had as many serious consequences. Mm-hmm. Um like even in our masks game, like the most serious consequence that someone had was like, like they broke an arm and all in, in between sessions, their arm healed. Right. You know, like time passed. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, so it's, it's, yeah, I think it depends on the severity, right? I think you have to really, cause, 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 and it also depends on the group, right? Cause some groups won't respect you after that. And after that, and then once that happens, it's like really hard to keep a, group together um but at the other on the other end of the spectrum like sometimes admitting that you are wrong and that you screwed up and then taking it back and walking it back sometimes that can make a group all the stronger um yeah yeah you just kind of gotta read the room right i I suppose so i i I don't love playing with people who are like i no longer respect you because you made a decision and then admitted that like you kind of wish you you made a mistake like i i honestly personally i respect somebody way more if they're like hey i made this call here and like we're not going to go back on it now because i was two sessions ago but like i don't think i'm going to do that going forward i I don't think that was the right call and i'm and i'm sorry like i'm sorry but you know we're not perfect you know i i appreciate that i i get when people feel like it suddenly feels kind of arbitrary but yeah Yeah. like i I think it has to be a dialogue. And that's why I think talking with your, being able to talk with your GM in particular is super important. Um, like you yeah. need to be, you need to be able to have an open dialogue with, with people. That's just good advice. Like have an open dialogue yeah. with people. Like if you, yeah, like, with people, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should do a two part episode, how to have a dialogue with your GM and then how to have a dialogue with people. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> I feel only qualified to talk about one of those. Yeah, same, same. But I mean, technically, we are having a dialogue. We are, you we know, are having a dialogue. But I don't think it's. Kind of, <laughs> it's not people the kind have of degrees in that. I don't. Yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We maybe maybe we should just stick to the make it a two part. How to talk to your GM? Oof, we should do that. That might be fun because I'm sure we have a lot of stories and a lot of things we could suggest. Yeah, we should do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but not, but not now, and and not next week. Uh, maybe after that, but <laughs> in the future, in the future. But that's it for this week, because um, uh, you know we're we're out of time. Um, but you can see what movies I'm watching on Letterboxd uh, at Derek Aiello uh, and Dane. Where can we find uh, you and your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dane underscore Fogdahl, and you can listen to my show Diceology, which is like the science of dice, on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. I should say uh, that's in the spelling, like it's dice ology like the spelling it's not actually about like the science of dice and chance or anything it's it's a actual play show where we play role-playing games 
to tell yeah, a story. Shepherds for you. is out, right? Shepherds is out. We are, as of recording this, um, we are currently in our third of four games, um, nice. which sounds very quick, but the fourth game is like six times longer than all the other, all the other games. So it's like, <laughs> it's like a two part arc and then a three part arc and a three part arc and then like a 20 part arc. Um, so, Goodness. uh, yeah, so it's, we're just kind of getting going with that one by the time this is out. I think, I think we'll probably be in on to the final, uh, chapter of that, which is the really long chapter. And nice. Maybe it's more accurate that we're through the epilogue or the, the, the prologue, the prologue. And into the, into the proper <laughs> into the story. story. I, don't, I don't know how to think about that, but either way. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good. Well, we'll catch you all later. Catch you later.